Hello, friend. If you are listening to this live, I want you to know that the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal Summer Collection is here. I will put a link in the description when you swipe up, but we have a very limited stock of our previously sold out 2021 journals exclusively for July through December, your six month journal, as well as a very special limited time bonus when you swipe up and click through that link. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about our dreams, our life choices, Our feelings and fears and motivations and all of that is what we use the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal for. It is not simply about being more productive and making things happen, although it does help us to do that as well, but it's being more intentional about the things we say yes to and really uncovering why are we being resistant, why are we overcomplicating. It is getting more done, but really it's getting less done, but doing it better. It's about simplifying our life, not simply to be monastic and minimalistic, but really to have more grace, more joy, to have more peace in the journey. I describe it as having me as your life coach in your pocket to sit down with every single morning. That's how I use mine or to kick off your Sunday night or Monday morning to plan out your week. It has changed my life and thousands of others. So I would love for you to get one before they sell out, and I will put that link below. Now on with the show. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, aren't you a cheeky one? You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Happy Wednesday, my dear. We just passed the holiday of Mother's Day, and That got me thinking about this topic of motherhood, which I feel that I am at a unique intersection to speak on the topic of because of my past, present, and future. So my past, I have a good relationship with my mother, and my mother is still living. So I am not at the place of grieving a mother or at grieving a strained relationship with a mother. I have never been pregnant or tried to get pregnant, so I don't have any miscarriages or abortions in my past or, um, you know, natural infertility challenges. And as you are aware, if you have been a, a podcast listener and an Instagram friend, I've been unsure for many years if I want to have a family very much on the fence. I think that as a couple now, you know, truly knowing who my life partner is and having gotten married a couple years ago, we are more likely yes, but it's still something that we very much are like, this is a huge undertaking. Are we sure that we want to embark down this road? And we're still a few years away from that. So we're not, uh, we are not presently trying to conceive or under the pressure of making this decision. So it allows me to feel like I'm kind of able to stand at the center of a big circle of women who all have so many different experiences from their past with their own mothers as a as perhaps a mother yourself of a younger uh, you know, an older mother of now an adult uh, child or even watching your own child now go through 
uh, infertility or pregnancy or motherhood or adoption or all of the things. And I have so, because, or just with my season of life right now, I have so many friends that are trying to conceive. I think also being in that spot where, you know, maybe in your early 20s, not a lot of women in your life are in that. Maybe in your late 40s, a lot of women around you have already been in that phase, but it feels like something that is so present for so many women in my life right now. And I know that we have a a, a, a large demographic here of listeners who also are older, who are more perhaps my mother's age. And I can only imagine that if I have this many friends that are going through this, there are just as many women who have uh, you know, a child of their own going through it. And having just passed Mother's Day. So by the way, today is just going to be more of a chat. I don't really have like a three-step takeaway. This is really just more of a conversation that I trust will serve you in your own thoughts, your own conversations with the women in your life. So having just passed Mother's Day, I've been very aware for many years now how triggering that holiday is on Instagram. And it It is noteworthy to me how aware I am of it because, as I said, I am at the center of the circle, let's say, observing all of these other stories. Well, I don't have any triggering stories of my own. I don't have stories of losing a mother. I don't have stories of a painful mother relationship. I don't have stories of wanting to be a mother yet. I don't have stories of loss. I don't have, you know, there's so many women who are in those stories. And I can imagine then and observe how this is triggering. As someone who is not triggered by any of that, I realize I got locked out of Instagram. No idea why. I was in Instagram jail. I was locked out of Instagram for a couple of days, like Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday, we were just busy living our lives. And I was kind of like, you know what, Instagram, if you don't want to let me in, well, I'm not going to come back the moment that you say. Like, two can play at this game. So I was off on Saturday. And then on Sunday, knowing that it was Mother's Day, I realized that I had subconsciously, and specifically if you're a content creator, you may understand this, I subconsciously think about content far more often than I'm actually creating content. So I realized I was thinking about a a beautiful liturgy or poem that I heard last year. I'll link it in the description below from another podcast. And I thought about going and transcribing that and sharing that as a uh, as a caption of a post because it was so beautiful, encompassing just so many different elements of motherhood. And I remember listening to it last year and thinking, this is such a beautiful, powerful podcast episode that honors so many of the different stories as opposed to one type of story. That episode really encompassed so much. Um, <clears throat> and it is a faith-based podcast, so that may speak more or less to you, but I also felt like it was so welcoming and it's approach. So that's called Cafeteria Christian, the podcast. I'll link up that episode specifically, and I'll put the time signature of when that specific poem was. But I thought about maybe sharing that. I thought about, you know, sitting in church on Sunday because it was our first Sunday back at church, guys, which doesn't matter if you were religious or not, whatever your thing is that you have not been able to do for the last 14 months because of the vaccine, When you finally get to do it again, oh, it is just such a powerful, surreal, joyful, emotional experience. And for uh, my husband and I, it was important to us to get vaccinated before we went back into someplace indoors, even though everyone is masked. Nonetheless, you're indoors, people are singing, people are hugging, you're close together, you're not socially distant. So that was just something that was important for us. So we literally were fully vaxxed as of Sunday and walked into church that exact same day. So 
being back in church on Mother's Day, they were talking about it so much in the service. And I just was thinking about so many people in my life who are in every single element of oh, the friend who's had two miscarriages that is trying to get pregnant again, the friend that what took four years to get her ad- adopted daughter and yet it technically isn't finalized yet. And so while there shouldn't be any problems, I can only imagine there still is that like open. I mean, just my friend who lost her mother at 14 to breast cancer, you know, is now a woman in her 30s. I mean, I just, I had so many women that came to mind. So I thought about doing a post kind of like speaking to all of them. Then I just thought about my own mom who sent me a text and said, being, I think it says something like, being your mother has been the greatest honor and delight of my life. I was just like, oh, okay, maybe I just need to do a post to my mom and just a shout out for like all the positive mom relationships. And then I just thought, I opened it up. I I opened up Instagram for a second and I saw a a friend had posted like just the broken heart emoji and that it was a post about, you know, just for all the all the women, all the different kinds of hurt with motherhood. And it's like, I just thought, why am I, why am I so invested in trying to speak to all of the hurt when this hurt isn't even my story? And you know me, I'm a deeply empathetic person, but I just, I almost want to say like, why are we doing this to ourselves? on mother on Instagram on Mother's Day. Why don't we just all get together and be like, "Hey, if this day's triggering for me, I'm just not going to go on Instagram." Because there's no there's nothing else I see people celebrate where we actually we focus way more on the people in pain than the people who are celebrating. And that's what I've observed over the last few years with Mother's Day. People want to say, and I even, I had a girlfriend that screenshotted a DM. She's gone through loss. She has a large following on Instagram. And she got a, a message from a follower saying, I'm I'm newly pregnant. This is my first my, my first baby, my first Mother's Day. I'm wanting to celebrate it, but not be insensitive because so many of my friends are, are 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 struggling to conceive or have gone through miscarriage and loss. So how can I post something that is is sensitive to them but is celebrating to me? And I just thought like, ah, oh, this is this is not a girl who who has any platform that's doing this. This is just a, a woman who is wanting to celebrate her own joy, but she's struck. She's afraid to do so because this specific Instagram culture. Now, mind you, she wouldn't have said, I don't know if I should get to go out to brunch. I just don't feel like I should get to celebrate. I don't think she would have denied herself that. It was purely that she wanted to be able to celebrate her first momentous occasion on Instagram. And yet specifically around this holiday, we've said, well, that's really selfish and insensitive for you to be grateful for your own joy unless you are sure that you spend at least double the time acknowledging everyone else's loss. And yet we don't expect that when someone gets engaged. We just let them celebrate their engagement and they aren't like, I also would like to take a moment to just shout out to anyone who is waiting for their person and I know that this can be triggering. Like, when I posted about my engagement, I didn't get a single person that was like, I felt very uh, like unloved and unseen. How dare you celebrate your engagement without acknowledging that some of us are brokenhearted? Like no one said that. When we, when I, I, I celebrated about getting a book, uh, my literary agent, 
I wasn't like, I want to acknowledge this is triggering for some people because some people are still waiting on their dream. Like there is, and, and also when we do a pregnancy announcement, we don't caveat that with, I, we're pregnant. Also, I want to acknowledge all of those who have lost. Now, that might be part of your general story and ethos, but in that post, you just share your joy and we are joyful for you. And somehow on Mother's Day specifically, I notice how much emphasis there is on, I don't want to leave anyone out. I want to encompass all of the people. And in sharing my joy and sharing that my mother is still alive, that I have a good relationship with my mother, that I enjoy being a mother, that I'm about to be a mother, we have to make all of these caveats. And I think that on the one hand, that is beautiful that we are so sympathetic. And I think it honors how deep the desire is to be a, a mother and the importance of that. And I think we give a whole lot of credence to a Hallmark holiday. If we're doubling down on our tiptoeing because of a greeting card holiday in ways that we are not when we find out that we're pregnant, when we give birth to our baby, like the actual days that matter, right? Like the, nobody else told me this, like I just know the day I have a baby is a life-changing day in my life. And I'm going to celebrate that and I'm going to celebrate their birthday. And every time I go to celebrate their third birthday, I'm not going to make sure to put in the post. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't have a child whose birthday they can celebrate, there's something about this Hallmark holiday where we really double down on the guilt and the grief. And I don't I don't have a takeaway from that. I just think it's interesting to notice. And it makes me think if I as a woman who is not at all triggered around this area thought, you know, I think I'm just going to skip Instagram because I feel like it's just going to be so many sad posts and and then the joyful ones or I don't, it just maybe you're going to be triggering. And I was like, if I want to be off and I'm not triggered, it made me wonder like, are there, are, are we all aware we can skip it if something triggers us? We can decide to just not go on Instagram on Mother's Day, on Valentine's Day, on, on Christmas Day. If you're alone, if you didn't get to be with your family on Christmas that don't go on Instagram on Christmas where everybody's going to be posting their matching jammy photos. If you're single, don't go uh, don't go online on Valentine's Day if that's hard for you when every influencer is going to be posting a photo of their significant other. They just are. Sure, there's going to be a couple of Valentine's Day shout outs, but let's just opt out. And I think just it just made me wonder if we didn't have Instagram, <laughs> would this be less heavy? And I think it depends on your personal life. For me, my family is just not a big greeting card holiday family that much. Like, I, I, I'm not big on gifts. I'm not big on cards. So my dad is a historian. He really cares about the actual days. Like, my family celebrates a lot of it, – it's a running joke with my husband because he's like, what are all these holidays you celebrate? Growing up, we celebrated half birthdays. We only had two kids in the family. We would celebrate our half birthday as well and go get ice cream. My parents celebrate the anniversary of their first date as well as their uh, wedding anniversary. Um, and so we, we double down more on those. For me, Mother's Day wasn't a huge deal growing up. And so to me now, the idea that I'm like, 
I don't know, go out to brunch, I guess. Like do do what you want to do. But if it wasn't for Instagram and also worth noting, if it wasn't for church, because I think for a lot of us who are people of faith, Mother's Day always falls on a Sunday and it's always talked about at church. And actually that podcast that I link below, specifically if you're a person of faith, I think is really beautiful because uh, honestly, I would just be like, maybe just skip church. Just go do something else. Now that we've had the whole pandemic thing, we're used to being like, maybe we don't have to do this thing, you know, quote, not, no pun intended, religiously every Sunday. So maybe um, maybe just skip church if that's triggering. Like it just made me wonder, are we doing I, – I know the phrase self-care practices is kind of cheesy, but are we doing the best self-care practices to say, I just don't need to be – buying into all the hype around this and just thinking that feels so intense on around Mother's Day if I feel that intensity and I am at this intersection of not even having a personal tie to it. In general, I'm also aware that motherhood is something I observe way more because of Instagram. And I just think that it is I don't vilify social media. I think that um, social media, technology, there are beautiful, amazing things that have come out of it. I have so many friends because of Instagram. I am a wiser, more empathetic, more educated, more cultured person because of Instagram. The the diversity of people that you can follow without having to live in that place. The, I mean, I just think it is it is beautiful and it has blessed my life. I have dear, dear, dear friends I would call in a crisis that I would never have met otherwise. I am closer to some of my friends through Instagram than friends that I've met in real life. I think it's such a positive place. But... A couple of things, having said that, I also want to always be aware, you know that I love to live in the and. Both things can be true. It can be a very beautiful place and we can take into account how has this changed my perception and my story of something as opposed to if I were the same age at the same stage of life 20 years ago. Number one for me is I'm aware that the criticism of motherhood is so intense. I see so many influencers caveat everything that they're going to say. Now, don't come at me with the hate. Now, don't DM me over this. Now, don't like, and you've already heard me share that criticism is so intense. And I think that it is so unnecessary the extent to which we believe that it is our our duty, our right, our need to give feedback to every every person that we see online, to, to correct and to say, you're not doing it exactly the way that I want you to do it. That already is a rampant issue. And again, I'm not a mother. So I can only imagine the intensity when the women that I already see, I already know because I know what it is like to be a content creator. I know that they are tiptoeing around every word they say online. And then when I see them extra caveat the motherhood stuff, I can just see how exhausting it is that they know they are going to get feedback on this issue. And I think on the one hand, it's because we all want to be teachers. We all want to feel like we have something to share in the world. And Motherhood is a deeply personal thing that takes so many hours. And I think it's almost like a vicious cycle in some ways, I think, where because there's so much shame in the culture, you 
perhaps want to extra prove that you actually do know the right way to do it and you do have wisdom. So it's almost like I'm getting criticized by this thing over here that's telling me I'm not being enough of a mother. So to make myself feel better about my mothering, I'm going to go tell this other woman all the wisdom that I have about breastfeeding or about potty training or about whatever it is. So I almost feel like it's this heightened we all get such pressure, and I'm saying we, I'm not, I'm not a mother, but I mean anyone who is, it's like we get so much of that pressure. I think I'm just wanting to say we so I don't sound like I'm I'm putting this upon someone else, but I do have humility that I haven't been in that position. But I think anytime we're criticizing, it's it's a response to I feel insecure in this area, which is why I want to feel more in control by giving advice. I want to feel more validated and like more of an expert, or I'm triggered by you doing something else. And the more secure we are, the more we're like, whatever, do you, you know, you you do you, just in any field. And so I, I, it makes me wonder, do we feel even more insecure in motherhood in Western society? Because culture makes us feel even more insecure. So therefore, that insecurity spills out into us giving even more unnecessary feedback to everybody else, and we're just part of the the vicious cycle. So I have a lot of empathy for that in general. The second thing I noticed from Instagram is how there's such an expectation of one story. And sorry, let me go back to when I say Instagram, I just really mean the internet. Like, because the, the idea of this criticism being so intense, you see it all the time on people.com or those kinds of websites that talk about celebrities or influencers, so-and-so got mom-shamed. So-and-so clapbacks at the trolls who mom-shamed her for. So I think that's where, as someone who's not a mom, I'm aware how much I either hear influencers caveating what they're going to say, or I hear articles with the headline, mom shaming. And then those are always about, where did they get mom shamed? They got mom shamed on social media. They got mom shamed on Twitter on Instagram, you know, in in the comments of something. And so just how intense that that is. Number 2 is the the expectation of one story that I think it's become more clear to me through social media how normative the expectation is that we are go that everyone is going to have children that everyone will have children, should want to have children, will love having children, will be good at having children. And I've shared on that a little bit here. I did a post that got a lot of engagement a few months back on how when Jeremy and I were spending time with our new baby niece, I got so many DMs saying things like, you know, we look like we have baby fever and I need to give that, I need to give Jeremy a baby and we would be such a, we'll be such amazing parents. And I was like, first of all, that's a deeply personal decision that we shouldn't be assuming that everybody is is going to make. And in our case, I actually have been open about the fact that we are on the fence, but I, in, in full humility, I'm not expecting that every person has listened to, you know, every podcast, every Instagram stories, but still just noticing that that's everyone's assumption, that we are going to have a baby. And the big one is... The, the commentary around being amazing parents, I mean, I just think I have a fair amount of friends that have really challenging parents. And that is sometimes due to addiction, which I think 
it is probably obvious that Jeremy and I do not struggle with. But predominantly, it's around mental health. And the thing is, it is so easy to cover up poor mental health. My friends whose parents are very emotionally unhealthy in ways that caused trauma, that's not obvious to the outside world. My friend who's, who, when there's addiction, that is usually more obvious. But when there is just general narcissism, selfishness, anxiety, like that, the, the outside people, these are parents that people are saying, oh my gosh, just like the sweetest mom, the sweetest dad, they're so great. And you actually don't know until that child is older. Like, you know, that person looked like they were so sweet and so successful and so kind and all that. But you don't necessarily know what that's like behind closed doors. I think if it was obvious where there is abuse, we would it would be easier for people to avoid abusive relationships. It would be easier for child protective services to intervene before a child is abused. If it was obvious to the naked eye. But but we don't know that. And so I often just think there's a um, celebrity hairstylist, Jen Atkins maybe is her name. I happen to see, um, excuse me, I follow her on Instagram and she was saying um, her and her husband just had their first baby. I think they're both in their early 40s and they were answering the question, why did you wait so long or why was now the right time or something? And her husband just said, you know, I in their case, one, it was finding the right partner that they wanted to – I hesitate on my language because I, I've i been catching myself how I use the phrase start a family. And then I was like, you know what, though? Like, J- Jeremy and I are a family. My friends, Gerard and Jesse, who have chosen not to have children, they've been together for – they've been married for 12 years. Um, they, they, they are a family. <laughs> the two of them and their dog, they're a family. You don't become a family once you have a baby. So I'm not sure. But then like bring a child into the world doesn't make sense that you could uh, you could adopt. That's not, you know, so I don't know quite the right language there. But when – I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Oh, that the husband said I wanted to – you know, I was meeting the right person that I wanted to have a child with and – also doing feeling like I was in a mentally healthy place and they they had talked about some institute that they went to to do a lot of work on their mental health or something and it just really struck me I thought I wish like that's how I want to feel if we have kids is that I or or a kid I don't know that I I'm really at a good mentally healthy place that I have done the work. That doesn't mean I'm going to be a perfect parent. That doesn't mean my kid's going to not have any complaints or that, you know, they're not going to wish we had done something different. But I really want to feel like we are emotionally healthy in bringing in that child. And we have dealt with our ish and we have done the work and all of that. And I'm just – now, you might be thinking, well, but I listen to your podcast and I can tell all of that from you, which I I definitely do – you know, can appreciate that perspective. But I think often I've been told by people that I don't necessarily know that that well. Like, you guys would be such amazing parents. And they're saying it because Jeremy and I like to sing and dance around the living room. And like, that that's not enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not the same thing as really being mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy. Yes, we like to sing and dance. And sure, that'll be great. 
But, you know, like, that's just not enough. And another, a third thing that I've noticed through Instagram is how much – so there's this one expectation of the story that you're going to have a family. And therefore, there's also a whole other set of podca- of uh, profiles, rather, and uh, and articles written in defense of choosing another story. And I think because I've been on the fence for so many years – I notice those articles and accounts a lot. I notice in a way that you might not, if that's not something that you've been looking for, but I notice how many articles there are on women having to defend their choice not to have children. And um, there's there's entire Instagram accounts that people are like, you know, we are child-free by choice. And our our graphics, like our quotes graphics, are all things about like the the pros of not having kids, the upsides, you know, of that. And that is beautiful to create a community for any, I guess I'm going to use the phrase marginalized group because it is a smaller percentage of the Western culture that chooses not to have children. So I think anything that we can create community around and experience is beautiful. But I also weirdly feel (laughs) a sense that both sides are trying to convince me that they're that their camp is better. I mean, there's a, there's entire accounts that are saying, here's all the reasons why it's better not to have kids. And then everyone who has chosen to have kids, I feel like subconsciously their accounts are like, I'm so glad I had kids. Let me keep telling you how amazing my kids are. Here's a cute thing my kids did. Here's the cute things that my kids did for Mother's Day. Like it's like, So in some ways, I can feel like there is... There's such selling of the positivity on both sides. And because, of course, the answer is always complicated the way I look at life, there also is so much negativity on both sides. I've seen a couple of posts lately talking about how much negativity there is, how many negative stories there are when you become a parent, how often you are told when you are pregnant, you know, like in, enjoy your sleep now, enjoy your white couch now, enjoy your this, enjoy your that with this sense of like, you know, again, it's almost like I went through these painful things. So I'm going to tell you that I'm happy for you, but I also somehow want to make myself feel a little better. So I'm also going to give you this negativity, sort of. Like, it's kind of a weird thing. And then it's like, just wait until they crawl. You think it's easy enough. Just wait until they walk. Just wait until this and this and this. And I noticed this, and apologies, I almost feel like I said this on a recent podcast. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself, although I don't know what the application would have been why I shared it. So I might have just shared it with someone um, I was leaving a voice message to on my Instagram DMs. Sometimes it's hard when you're like, I think I've said this. What context did I say this in? But I remember being at lunch with two men. One had children in high school age. One had younger children, like early elementary school. And the high school dad said something about, you know, just, well, wait till you get to this stage. And it was a negative. It was like, you know, then they're not going to want to spend time with you anymore. That Something along those lines, maybe. Like, you know, well, enjoy it now because one day they're not going to spend time with you. And the dad of the younger kids just said, I don't believe that. Like, I I don't think that's true. I think you can build a great relationship with your kids where they enjoy spending time with their family and with their friends. Like, and I thought it was so powerful to realize 
you you don't have to accept the negative stories. And you can actually shut them down right in the conversation and just say like, you know, oh, I don't like I don't believe that um you know, I just don't believe in focusing on the negative. Um, you know, I'm I'm choosing to focus I choose to focus on the positive. You know, that sounds a little a little negative and I just choose not to focus on the negative thoughts. Like whatever language feels right to you to to not shame the other person and not make it awkward, um, which I feel like men are more easily able to do and the other one like brushes it off. I feel like women were like, but what if we then, it sounds like we're criticizing them. But I also think you can just be like in the way you would with any other boundaries. Like this is about positivity. I don't want to focus on the negativity. Um, and then I think there's also so much fear and negativity around what if you don't have kids? What if you're going to be alone? What if you're this or that? And I think you can have those those thoughts for yourself. You can do that journaling. You can have those conversations without needing to, you know, put your fear on everyone else. And similarly with all the caveats around Mother's Day that I don't see around other celebrations, all the caveats around saying anything about motherhood that I don't see around anything else, I don't see all this, see and hear all this negativity around marriage or entrepreneurship or Broadway or anything else that I've embarked on in life or considered, I don't feel like there is so much fear nor so much selling. I don't feel that people are trying to sell me that I should get married just because they are or I should not get married just because they don't want to. People don't seem to like have an opinion about that. I don't feel pressured in, 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 and I really don't feel that I see this by and large. I know some people are negative about this. It's just, I guess, not the people I follow. I don't feel like people are saying, your life is going to be happier if you're an entrepreneur. Your life is going to be worse if you have a traditional business. Your life is going to be miserable if you are an entrepreneur. Your life is going to be, people seem to be like, you know, some people are, are called to be entrepreneurs. Some people aren't. There's highs, there's lows, there's positives, there's negatives, like, that feels more normative in other things, but it feels like around parenting, there's like, it's the best thing you've ever done. You, you've got to do it. I mean, you're never going to sleep again. And, you know, it's definitely like there's times when you just like want to cry a lot because like it's the hardest thing, but it's also the best thing. And there's almost just like this manic energy about it where I'm realizing like, okay, I kind of need to just turn the volume down for myself because it feels like there's kind of a frantic or defensive energy for a lot of people. And then it gets whipped up even more. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't, I wouldn't follow someone that was that frantic or, or selling that hard on any other topic. And so I think those are more of the people that I've chosen to surround myself with motherhood. And yet I just still see it so often in my Explore feed, in articles, in podcast episodes that I'm just aware that it's out there. And I think there's times when I feel like maybe I should just spark the conversation here because if I was in one of those categories, I think I would fear saying something because I would be afraid it would come across as defensive. If I'd gone through loss, I would be afraid that you would hear me say this and be like, well, she's just very sensitive, you know, because she went through a lot of miscarriages. Or if I didn't want to be a parent and I was clear on that, you're like, well, she's just a little defensive because she's never going to become a parent like us, you know, hair flip, hair flip, or whatever the thing is. She just has a lot of trauma because she, you know, she lost her mother at a young age. Because it's none of those, 
I'm like, guys, this is like a like a lot. Like these stories and this energy is a lot. And I'm like in the easiest place in the circle. So I kind of feel like this could be affecting a lot of other people a lot more than me. And it's not, I'm not pointing the finger at any one person or perspective, but maybe just let's simply raise our awareness of what is the energy in the culture that I'm in and the stories that I'm hearing around motherhood, parenthood, and do they bring me hope? Do they make me anxious? Do they make me feel heavy? Do they make me feel less alone? Just how do they make me feel? I feel like we are the kindest to ourselves and others when we live in the and. And so uh, one of my ponderances is, do we, do we need to lower the idealization around motherhood being the magical apex? is part of the reason there's such intensity because we have placed such intensity specifically in, I'm going to say Western society, but perhaps even American society. There's, by the way, I'm linking a ton of resources in the description here um, because there are so many different angles on this topic. One of them is a blogger named Jess Kirby, who I happened to come across on Instagram a while back, uh, who has had previously blogged about the fact that she didn't want to have children. Her and her husband then got pregnant. They had the baby. She did a a brief interesting post on that and then had linked to some other posts over time. One of them recently that I linked below was on a New York Times article on women choosing not to have children. And within that, it then linked to a bunch of other articles with different stats and data, which is something that I've been very fascinated by. Who is more likely to be happy having children? Do children make you happier? All of those kinds of things. And one of them specifically linked to uh, a, a data survey on how specifically Americans are less happy having children. So then I went down that rabbit hole a little bit. And I did not link every article I have on this topic because if you are interested There is tons of Google information out there. I just happened to link that one article because it sort of springboarded off a few hours of deep diving on the internet and the other day and conversations with my husband. But the article that mentioned that with America just made me think, and I know we have listeners from all over the world here, but specifically in America, have we put so much emphasis and pressure on what it means to be a mom? You know, just just do some research if you're curious about it into how many more hours we spend with our children than we used to? How many more activities our children have? How how many more things we are concerned about, which may be good things, like what are we putting in our food? What are we putting on our bodies? What are we cleaning our homes with? What, you know, just are, are our children ahead or behind in all these different areas? Things that are positives, but if we add them all up, with the fact that that women are are able to work in a way that honestly our our grandmothers more or less were not and yet we haven't balanced out for the uh the child care um gap there actually was and I I didn't um didn't even think about this but I just heard two podcast episodes of the daily one was about the population rate in the US has dropped for the first time in forever and the next episode was about the po- the extreme population decline in Japan 
And the one in the U.S., they hypothesize is largely based around women not being confident that they can financially provide for a child, that after the financial crisis of 2008, people just, it was kind of a wake-up call, and you have a generation of women that want to make sure they can provide for a child, they can have a house, they can have a steady, um, you know, income and salary and all of that, and are we are we less confident in that? And so people are having less children. And that in Japan, it is largely because there is no balance between the two parents. And as women were more able to go into the workforce, they it's like they can't be 100% parents and work. And so you have more women that are opting out of having children and that the, the, the men in that society, in Japanese society, are so uninvolved in, you know, sharing the responsibilities of children. So when we talk about this idolization of motherhood, I also think where you are in the world and how your culture takes it in is part of it. Have we elevated everything that it takes to be a good mother where we end up with so much on our list? And you know one of my passions is a spacious life, the anti-hustle lifestyle. 10, 11 years ago when I started a business as an entrepreneur, I told myself I could be crazy for three years. I don't know why I picked that number. I was just, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew I didn't want to spend a lifetime sprinting and hustling. At the end of three, three and a half years, I realized it was not, around the corner, it was not getting any better. There was going to be another few years of this. No end was in sight. And this was not sustainable. I was so burnt out. So I started to go on that quest of what I came to call elegant excellence. How do I do meaningful work in the world that I'm passionate about, but not be so exhausted? How do I not give into hustle culture, but, but you know, create something powerful and, and live a life that is extraordinary, but not be exhausted all the time? And so that's the journey that I've been on since 2015. And it's you know, 2021 right now. So this has been a long story for me. and. I've, that has been for me really about entrepreneurship. But along the way in creating the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal and, and, and speaking more on this topic here on the podcast and on my Instagram stories, I know that for so many women, it's the balance between motherhood and work, whatever your work is, or motherhood and other goals, that there's a sense of, I'm always busy, I'm always exhausted, there's never enough hours in the day. So I think that is such a universal struggle in this day and age that I I wonder, as someone who is not a mother, if you are one, what your experience has been of, is the pressure so high? Is the expectation so high? Are we then exhausting ourselves as mothers because the cultural story is they got to be in so many activities and there's got to be like, you know, all, all the organic food and all the organic home things. And, and then we got to, you know, I don't know, we got to get them in the extracurricular and we got to do extra reading time because we got, whatever the things are, you know, they got to be in therapy, they got to be in all these things. And again, that can be good, but does it all add up to we have so much pressure on mothers and even before that, do we have so much pressure that I'm telling you, I just see as someone who is kind of in the middle camp of like, yeah, I'm not 100% positive of how much the story is life begins when you are a mother. Nothing on earth will be more fulfilling than being a mother. Like you can never know this kind of love until you're a mother. Just this sense of 
It's a club you've got to join. It's a club that you will miss out on the purpose of your life if you have not joined. So do we have so much emphasis on that 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 we create that fear, that shame, that anxiety, that pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And because life is in the complexity, we also honor nothing can replace that love whether that's wanting to be married or in a romantic partnership or wanting to be a, a parent and have children, you can't replace that with anything else. I, it's, it's, uh, it is a longing that in some ways is built into our DNA because to survive as a species, we must mate and uh, procreate, <laughs> not to rhyme it, but that there is something biological in that that moves the world forward. And as someone who wanted to be married for so many years, nothing else was going to take the place of that. I wasn't going to have a fulfilling enough career. I wasn't going to have good enough friends. And so I think it's that tension that allows us to be kindest to ourselves and others. When we say, I both honor how deep this desire is and I don't want to minimize it, And I acknowledge we have so exalted and elevated this that it gets even more pressure and focus than the true genuine depth that does exist in our hearts. Does that make sense that when we have that complexity, we don't, I don't want to diminish it for anyone. I don't want to be like, guys, we should just chill, okay? Like, it's not that big a deal if you don't have kids or like, guys, like just chill on how you describe motherhood, like make it, you know. Just make it easier. I, I don't want to diminish any of that while also saying, can it? Can both things be true? Can we not diminish it and simultaneously have exalted it with so much pressure that it just raises what's already intense and just brings it to a boil where it can feel so intense when you're on social media and you're just, you know, observing the conversations about that. And I think also... Living in that and doesn't make something easier. I think it makes it more honest, but it doesn't make it easier. And I think that's why we don't have these and conversations very often because what we want is the shortcut to easy. We want the the, the quick answer, the easy button. And so we prefer things that are polarized. We prefer things that are clean cut and clear. And this is done and done. This is the answer. I'm right, you're wrong. But that and, it can make us kinder to ourselves and one another, but it may not make it easier to live in that tension. It just can, it's more honest. And I think honest in the long run is easier because we understand the complexity. We honor the complexity rather than feeling like, I think that this is supposed to be easy. And now the fact that it doesn't feel easy makes me feel like ashamed and a failure that I must be doing something wrong. And I say it's not easy because conception is my greatest question for God. My number one greatest question for God. Why? Why are there so many pregnancies that are not desired that lead to abortions, that lead to adoptions, that lead to people becoming parents when they did not necessarily feel ready, they did not necessarily feel that it was the optimal support system or finances or whatever. 
and simultaneously, so many people who want desperately to have a child who have the finances, who have the support, who have, you know, all of it, are not able to. Like what the, what the, what, God, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? I mean, first of all, my great question for God is just, why would anyone be denied love? If we all want to find a partner, why are there people who are single and some people who are married? We, if, if we all want love, why are we not given that? Doesn't that seem cruel? And then if we all want the love of a child, why are we not given that? When meanwhile, you've got people over here having it who don't even want it. Like, I don't, ugh, I don't understand. Let's talk about this when we get to heaven, guys, because I'm sure it'll make sense there. And we'll have like a little podcast circle up in uh, the afterlife. And we'll just like laugh about these episodes where I just stood and like flung my hands in the air in my home office. I was like, why? I don't understand. But I mean, truly, like I, I just, some of my friends, and here's another thing to know about my perspective. The, the stats are like, I don't know what, one in eight, one in four of like couples who struggle with infertility or couples who have miscarriages. Like I can't remember. One in eight, one in four. Our stats, I, I sat down and made a list over the weekend. Our stats are like 50 to 75% in, in my and Jeremy's lives. In terms of the people that I personally message with about things they wouldn't share on it on social media. So what I mean by that is it's very easy if you're aware of a topic to start noticing a topic more often or to start subconsciously following more people on Instagram. The people in my life, my my Instagram friends who struggle with this, they were my Instagram friends for another reason first, if that makes sense. So the women in my life who are struggling with this are it, it it's it is way 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 higher than the people in my life like my sister who was like as soon as I want to get pregnant I'll get pregnant I've never had a miscarriage wanted three babies tried three times each time boom 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 had a baby held a baby great easy easy pregnancy easy delivery done and done <laughs> I have almost no other friends for who that is the case the number of friends I have that have tried for over a year to get pregnant who have turned to IVF who have um had losses, who have had stillbirths, who, I mean, it's just insane. And some of them, I just want to be like, what, like, God, I do not understand. I do not understand. How would you let my friend Ashley go through this heartbreaking situation of adopting two children for four years and then having them taken away in this hideous court battle and then let her get pregnant and then have her give birth at five months to a stillborn baby? Like, what? How, how, how is that fair? Why would you have my friend Jordan have two miscarriages back to back? Like what, why, why would you have my like colleague Ashley Spivey get, give birth to a stillborn baby and then do embryo freezing with her husband, just like letting her body rest and then get pregnant out of, um, just, just spontaneously. And then I, I, I don't know, as of recording this podcast, the, where where the story will end, but her latest appointment, the baby wasn't growing and the heartbeat was really faint. And you're just like, God, if that's not going to be a viable pregnancy, then why would you make her pregnant? She's like about to do embryo insemination. I'm not familiar with the terminology. Like in a couple of months, like what? why? Why now she's just going to have to go through longer for her body to heal? This makes no sense. I have so many questions. So if you are struggling, I think 
on the one hand, finding all of those stories. And and I share that by the way, because also because, and I will link to a bunch of Instagram accounts below. I did a Q&A on my stories recently and I said, what what are topics you wish people talked about more? And one that came up multiple, like you're either embarrassed to ask about or you just wish people talked about more. Multiple people said IVF or infertility or loss. And I thought that was really interesting because I know so many of those people and I'm not even looking for it. I follow less than 200 people on Instagram and every person I put in the caption below, in the description below, are people that I follow on Instagram. And they represent a lot of different areas of life and none of them did I follow because I was like, I want to follow someone who's gone through loss. I want to follow someone who is a positive parent. Like they just had different different spins on things. So um, I think know that there is that out there. If you are looking for support in any area, there is so, there are so many people heroically sharing their story in way more. Some of them, I, I just can't comprehend how you could be that honest about something so vulnerable you're going through. Other times people have a little bit gotten pushed into it. I have some friends that have gone through loss that had a large platform and it's like, well, what, you're, you're not... You can't hide that you went through loss. <laughs> and now that people know that you went through loss, people are going to ask about it. So know that those are out there. If you want to look for them, there's just a couple of places to start um, below. But I also think it's worth noting that when you are surrounded by a struggle, it also can amplify your fear of it. It also, it can make you feel less alone that a lot of people are going through it. Or it can also make you be like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to get pregnant. It's so hard to parent a toddler. I don't know, whatever the story is, like you can also, you can feel comforted by stories of something being hard or it can feel even harder. You can increase your anxiety. And so I think that's just an area to check in with yourself where I said, like, I am very conscious of who I follow on Instagram and how those accounts you know, make me feel. And we've talked before about the reticular activation system, the part of our brain that what whatever you were looking for, you will find more of. So if you want to find more evidence that miscarriages are rampant and everyone is turning to IVF and you can't afford that or whatever it is, you will find that. And I also believe that you can find the the opposite. So I think it's just asking yourself, is it bringing you peace or fear? And that question is very hard to know because I want to be a realist. I want to have fair expectations. So there's often times when statistics really can help me, such as my reading articles on like what percentage of people are happier before or after they have kids. Like to an extent that can really help me. Then to another extent, they are just statistics. And though you are a story, you are a beautiful, unique story and I, it's not as black and white as saying, well, these are the statistical facts, so here's my exact odds. Because actually, there's so much else that goes into that story. As I said, I've paid attention for years to articles on are people happier or not when they have children. That wasn't something I initially thought to Google, but I think there have been so many articles about that over the years that it will just come up on my radar, on you know my news feed, whatever. And... So I was giving Jeremy some of those statistics over the weekend from this one article that I linked below. And we were talking about how many factors are there 
beneath those statistics. You know, like, for example, a girlfriend last week we was was talking about someone else in our industry and they said, um, oh, like I, be, because of this thing that, that my friend does, they're like, I've seen their press kit and um, like their, their email following went to, uh, their, their email list subscribers went down over the last year and what they're charging for their podcast ads went down over the last year as evidence for their, their, their business isn't doing well. Is that actually, we don't necessarily know that that's, that's what those statistics mean. You could have a, limited your email list size because you just happen to do list cleaning. You just happen to rethink the way that you identify who your active leads are. You may have just gone through a season where you were doing less list building because you just had other sources of income and you didn't need to build your list. Like that doesn't have, you can, one option is people are unsubscribing and they like her business less. Here's five other options that are she's crushing life and doing great. <laughs> and her email list is smaller because she's getting better at her systems behind the scenes because she's wiser at marketing because she's been focusing on other revenue streams and blah, 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 blah. Same thing with the, the podcast rates. Could mean less people are listening to her podcast and she had to lower her rates. It also could mean, because my husband works in this field, that Advertisers had less money during the pandemic. So even though listens were actually up across the board, more people had more time to be listening to podcasts, advertisers had less advertising but dollars to spend. It wasn't based on less people are listening. It was based on more people are listening, but we actually have a smaller budget as an advertiser than we did last year, you know? So you can look at a statistic and make it mean a story. We talk about this in my Elegant Excellence Mastermind all the time for my uh, fellow entrepreneurs, you can make a, st a statistic mean something. It can tell you a story and the story might not be right because there, uh, there usually are a lot of other stories and a lot of other factors and angles. So I love data as a business owner, but I'm also very suspect of data because it's very easy to look at a number and be like, oh, I know what that means. And they're like, actually you don't. So. When it comes to our, our people are less happy after they've had children, we we were wondering what about money? How how are we um, have these people been separated out for whether or not they are in a financially challenging position when they have uh, when they have children? And I found one study that said it was like black and white. Like once they put in just for that one more question that said, do you feel you have enough money or do you feel that money is like an issue for you? Or you're scarce on money, something like that. They said it was like 100%. If they were struggling with money, it made them less happier. If they were not struggling with money, it made them happier. And I was like, okay, that's a huge factor for where we are at in our life with, with running a successful business and that what we've been you know blessed with to know, we're not in that position going into having children. If we have children later in life, if we have children later in our career, that's very different than the median of where people are. What about age? How does age factor into it? Well, one study I, sh I said like, I think it was like parents over 40 were happier or something. I was like, okay, but what does that mean? Does that mean they were over 40 when they had children? Like that couple I mentioned earlier, or they were over 40 at the time of the survey. And if most people have children, let's say in their late 20s, and they were happier over 40, does that actually just mean people are happier once their kids pass 10 years old? That was not, uh, that data was not available to me. You know? um, what about, um, what about if the, the child was planned or unplanned? 
that's got to be really huge, right? People that were not planning on becoming parents at that point or with that person. Some article that I was reading a little bit earlier was taught, I, I started to notice that in some of the stories. Like it was resentment that they'd gotten pregnant so young and they had lost their, they'd never had a chance to have their career. And now they're feeling resentful as they see their child go out at 20 and have the life that they wish they'd led. Or they, they felt pressured into marrying their, um, child's father when they really shouldn't have been getting married and it wasn't a good relationship and then they were divorced. And that, like, that's a very different thing than this is a, a, a choice that someone was like, I very much want a child. I feel financially I can provide for a child. I feel, you know, all of these different things. And so I too look at all of those statistics in a way that I think you can look at what is the chance of, um, of miscarriage? What is the chance of this? Or I just see, um, even on IVF was one of the things people said that they wish people talked about more. And I'll see sometimes people on those accounts saying like, answering questions like what what milligram of of shots did you take or what kinds of shots or whatever and i'm sort of like doesn't your doctor tell you that like are are we are we really being helped by paying attention to the the statistics of someone else on instagram and and the actual data of their story because that could have nothing to do with your story i don't know maybe they have like high they have high progesterone levels and yours are totally normal. And so that you're not going to walk into your doctor and be like, hey, so so-and-so that I follow on Instagram was getting 20, you know, 200 milligrams and you only gave me 100 or something like that. So I think we also just need to say, are these statistics, are they making me feel more encouraged or discouraged? Are they making me feel less alone? Are they making me feel less, more educated? And then to what extent is my life not a statistic? My my life is a story. And f- for for me, with whether or not children will make us happier, I have to, to say to myself, I, I, I can't let polls and other people's happiness decide and determine my happiness, right? Which sounds obvious that you're like, well, I read the statistics and I just didn't think that it was a good, like, that's just not the way that I would make a decision. But we want to Feel that comfort. And because this is having a child is the only life decision that you cannot take back. If you marry the wrong person, you can get divorced. You can, if you quit your job to start an, a business and then you realize you don't like being an entrepreneur, you can go back and get another job. If we leave New York City some someday and then we like m- desperately miss it, great, we can move back to New York City. I mean, there's just a lot of things that we think are not changeable are changeable. Even if you go in being like, I want this to be my forever home. I want this to be my forever marriage. I never want to go back to this job. But we can make those changes. Kids, you, you can't. <laughs> that is the only thing you can't change. And I notice while we've been talking about Instagram and we've been talking about statistics, I also notice the stories around me. You know, on, on Instagram, there are some times where there is an honest post about how hard motherhood is or the things that someone like misses in their life before then. But that hard post is usually surrounded by a lot of really cute, happy posts. And I think by and large, that's healthy because we, our brains want to affirm that we've made the right choice. 
we tend to look for information that we have a confirmation bias. We want to be confirmed that we were right to hold this political belief, to take these supplements for our body. We, we tend to want to say, I already made this choice, so let me find more evidence that affirms I'm right in this choice and I'm happy, which is great because we would make ourselves miserable if we were constantly looking for, was I, was I wrong to get married? Maybe I should go read some articles about why people shouldn't have gotten married. You're like, well, I'm probably not going to be very happy in my marriage if I'm constantly looking for like, did I make a mistake? So I really watch my mindset in my marriage. I watch my thoughts. I watch if I am having a critical thought about Jeremy, a resentful thought about Jeremy. I actively think thoughts. I actively say words all the time. Like, you are you are so handsome. You are so good looking. You are so sweet to me. You are so thoughtful. You, I love being around you so much. I'm so thankful for you. Like, I think and say those things all the time because I make the active choice that I want to stay happy and grateful and connected and committed and all of that to my marriage. So I use my healthy mindset to do that. And I would imagine that I'm going to do the same thing if I become a parent, that I'm not going to then be reading these articles and be like, oh, I saw another article about whether or not people are happy. I wonder if I made the wrong decision. Like, no, we're going to stick in that, you know, as we should. But that means most of the people we are hearing from are going to double down on their decision. Because again, you can't undo it. Now, marriage or entrepreneurship, you're, you're going to have some people that did it and then they weren't that happy with it or it didn't feel like the right fit. And so then they left and you have people that are saying, here's, here's what I wish I'd known before I got married. Here's what, you know, what I wish I'd known before I started a business, whatever. Because they've left and so now they can be be honest. I made this choice and then I made another choice and I can speak to both of them. But when you're, when you have a kid, you, you, you don't want to sit around and be like, here's, here's all of the downsides of this. You know, you don't want to live in that. I wouldn't want to live on that either. So if I do have a kid, I imagine that I'm not going to be frequently on Instagram and the podcast being like, all right, guys, here's the worst bits. Here's the total downers. And I just like, you know, you would get yourself into a depression if you're just like, here's all the regrets I have and our life has changed and it's never going back. Like, so that's not emotionally healthy, but I I think it's important for us to be aware that specifically around this area then, everybody wants to tell you that the decision they made is the best. Whether they made the children have choice to have children or they didn't. And the, the, the not having children also, once you reach a certain point that it would be harder to have children biologically, you all the more so want to be like, I don't want to regret. I don't want to get to 45 and then be like, shoot, I wish I'd made a different decision when I'm 30. So I too am going to double down on that. So then I try to pay attention to the stories in my life. And I notice there as well, they're very different. I mean, of the of the kids that Jeremy and I know, we have one set of kids that are, they're just really exhausting to be around. And we often ask ourselves, like, could we do it differently? Could we do it better for us? And by the way, that's a key phrase, better for us. Because if it's working for that family and they're happy, that's great. We just are like, we have a different threshold for this. We have a different desire for that. And so... We really have those conversations. Could, 
how, to what extent are we being idealistic and Pollyanna-ish to be like, oh, I mean, listen, we could totally do that better. We would have that issue and that issue handled. Like, I don't want to be uh, unrealistic and think like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just like nail all this parenting stuff. I'm never going to deal with tantrums. I'm never going to deal with the bedtime routine. We are never going to deal with a picky eater. We're never going to like, I don't want to be unrealistic about it, but I also want to look for, do we actively have ideas of things we would like to do differently? And back to those stories, I don't want to go into it saying, I'm sure we couldn't do it better though. That's probably the only way to do it. You got every meal is a fight. Every bedtime is a fight. If you have more than one kid, they're going to fight. Like, I don't want to accept everything is hard and fights and hard and fights and exhaustion, exhaustion. And I don't want to be like, oh, I'm sure I'll crack the code on that. I'm sure that that'll be a piece of cake and that'll be super easy for me. I want to notice that I don't want to believe in the hard stories, but I also don't want to give myself this Pollyanna-ish version of how easy it's going to be for me because that too, both of those are going to lead me to a place where I am more more likely to be unhappy, right? Um, we have another family in our life where um, the mom has really struggled having a kid because she's an entrepreneur and she she doesn't want to be a full-time mom, but she can't afford help. And so she's just kind of in this rock and a hard place that I think she didn't know how to reconcile before she had a kid. So she just didn't really think about it because there wasn't really an option. There just wasn't going to be an answer for how she could get both. And she didn't want to admit the trade-off because the trade-off didn't seem great, but also not having a kid didn't seem like an option that would make her happy. And so I, I look at that and I can have empathy and I can understand that. And I also can create separateness in separation in, in a healthy way to say, okay, that's not going to be my story. I, I would be having a family later on in my business and I just everyone's story is different. So just because something is hard for her doesn't mean that it's hard for me. It doesn't mean that I'm saying that in, a, in an elitist way. It doesn't mean that I'm looking down on someone. It just means that I'm making sure I can allow this friend to talk about her hard, hard thing without it having to mean for me, parenting is going to be a hard, hard thing. Now, I may have my other hard things, but I can I can live in that and. I can support her in that story and not make it mean the reality for me. I have another friend who has six kids, loves it, loves having six kids, came from a huge family. She loves her relationship with her siblings and wants to be able to give that to her kids. And honestly, you guys know I watch Keeping Up, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I would love to give my kids the built-in like compound unit that those families, that family has. The idea that you all live like on the same street and you just all hang out all the time, like that sounds amazing. I love the relationship that they have. Okay, it's like a little dysfunctional, but you know, they're reality stars. So their life is a little crazier than mine would be. That sounds lovely and magical, but that's just not my story. I'm not having five or six kids. <laughs> like I'm on the fence about one. I'm not having five or six. So I need to release that as like, well, that's not my story either. And I think we all can look at other people and say, I honor that that is beautiful for you or I honor that that is hard for you, but it's not my story. And I think I just have to focus a lot on what is my story? What is my personality? What is my season of life? 
What is my timing of life? The, the way that my business unfolded or my marriage unfolded? What are my desires? Whether anybody else is telling me they are quote unquote realistic or whatever, what are my desires? Tuning out the noise to really focus on what do Jeremy and I want? What do Jeremy and I believe? And also envisioning the future at a ton of different stages. And I think this is great advice for for a business, for any dream, for moving someplace, for anything in life. I'm conscious that there are certain elements, like a, a, a wedding, getting married, whatever. There's certain elements that I think the brain tends to focus on as that, that probably are either the early stages or the far stages. So you either are like, I'm going to build a business and then I'm going to have this team and it's going to be magical and it's going to support my life. And you're not really like, okay, what are the first three years going to look like? In the kid's case, I think more of the emphasis is on the baby. The baby is so cute. The baby is so cuddly. The clothes are so cute. The names are so cute. I realize it's easy for me to picture that stage. I'm actually cool with the baby stage. Like when we were visiting my my uh, niece in the fall that we were obsessed with, like I'm like, this I could do. Just like lie on the couch and do a lot of cuddles. We, we In just a few weeks of being there, we could figure out what made her cry. We could figure out how to, I was like, I'm good with this. Um, okay, older, like elementary school kids, I don't know so much. <laughs> like they're not really my jam. Toddlers? Ooh, lots of tantrums. I don't know. So I, I'm conscious to say, like, before we make this big life decision, let me, let me notice what part of it my thoughts go to. My, my thoughts go to the infant stage, and I, I feel ready for that. What about the toddler stage? What about kindergartner? Ten year old, thirteen year old, sixteen year old? Can I actually picture all of those stages? to just kind of open myself up. What about the different variables? If they're a boy or they're a girl, they're gay, they're straight, they're cerebral or sporty, they're chill or high energy. Not only can you not take back having a baby, you don't know what's inside the egg, which I don't even mean like the literal biological egg in your body, but I think of it as like like an, an amusement, like a arcade game or something like that. Like the egg comes out and you open it up to see what the prize is inside. Like, you don't know what's what's going to be inside there that you you could have like the the chill or the challenging child. You could have, you know, any manner of personality. And obviously you can't control for every outcome and think through everything, but I think it's just making sure for me that I'm staying open to the the humble reality that I can't have one vision or expectation for how this is going to work, but I and I want to have thought through enough of them that I have that more realistic humility to say, oh, I don't want to get into this and then be like, you know what? I spent all those years thinking about it and I was only thinking of the baby stage and or, or even, even the negatives. And again, I think this applies to so many things, marriage, business, other career goals. You can focus on one example that was great or one example that was hard. How many people say that they don't want to get married because their parents got divorced. And that is one story. And you could focus on so many amazing long love stories. That's just the one that's in front of you. How many people struggle because they were cheated on one time in a relationship? And that was one bad egg, not to keep talking about eggs, but that was one bad egg. And you're letting that color everyone, every man or woman that you see 
that makes you fear that same thing. So I think the brain can do this a lot to protect ourselves. We can get focused on one positive or negative example. Or you could be like, oh my gosh, I just, I have this vision that being a mom is going to be magical. And then you get into it and you're like, okay, this is so much harder than I thought through. I was kind of going into this, you know, with rose colored glasses. I think we can do both. We can be more fearful and we can have more negative stories or we can be more idealistic and have more, you know, rose colored glasses stories. So overall, I just want to extend so much empathy and understanding to the best of my ability through people in my life that I love, even though it's not my, it's my secondhand experience in most of these cases for just every area of, of motherhood. The, we, whether we have mothers, we all have mothers, whatever that relationship was like, and whether we become mothers, because even if we don't, we are surrounded by it in culture. And I want to see us idolize it less without diminishing the yearning for it at all. I want to see us criticize and correct others less while tuning in more to what our gut tells us is right for us. I want to see us more peaceful in our own choices so we're less triggered by someone else making a different choice. I want to see us finding the peace and joy in our own choices because it's the absence of peace and joy that leads us to be triggered. I think it's that I'm an exhausted mother and the idea of others having freedom because they don't have children makes me resentful. I am desperate to conceive and others getting it first makes me resentful. Like whatever our story, seeing another woman's story is only triggering when we don't have peace and joy in ours. Because I have peace and joy in my marriage, it does not trigger me at all if you choose not to be married, if you choose to be in a relationship and uh, if you choose to never be in a relationship, if you choose to be in a relationship and not get married, if you get divorced, it doesn't affect the peace and joy in my own marriage. I have peace and joy in my faith, which is why I I, I welcome all faiths here. I, I Not everybody needs to share my faith. I'm not triggered by, by people having no faith or a different faith. I have peace and joy in my own. I want you to have that same peace and joy. So I'm happy to share about my faith because that's brought me peace and joy. But I don't need to control what your faith story is because I have peace and joy in mine. So let's take ownership to tune out the things that that trigger our peace and joy. Let's take ownership to get more quiet with ourselves and our God, whatever that means to you, to really say, what, what do I want? What brings me joy? What do I believe? What are the positive stories? What are the hope-filled stories? Let's give ourselves grace that this is a hard, hard thing. Mourning the loss of a of a of a mother physically, mourning the loss of not having a good mother, wanting to to be a mother and not being able to conceive, having wanted to be a mother and having it be hard, you know, harder than you realized that it was going to be wanting to be a mother and being single. I mean, just so many ways. 
let us give ourselves grace that this is a hard, hard thing that is wired into our DNA, that is deeply embedded into our culture. And let's celebrate and look for more evidence that it is also easy and healthy and beautiful and flourishing. Can conceiving be easy? Can motherhood be easy? Can relationships with mothers and children be easy? That doesn't mean that it is always going to be, but can it be? Is it possible that it can be? And yes, sometimes for some people, it is also going to be hard. And many times for many people, it also can be easy. It is, to me, it's that mindset and mental health of choosing to find the easiness and the hope and the joy, which does not mean that things are then going to be a cakewalk. Cakewalk. It is not diminishing pain in the slightest. It is not saying if it's hard for you, it's because you're making it hard. It's simply asking what stories are serving you? What is the next best feeling thought? How can you have one degree or 10% more peace, hope, joy, faith, in the season you're in, in the reality as it is for you. And that is exactly what I'm doing myself. I don't know what our future holds. I don't know what my friends' futures hold, which honestly weigh a lot more heavy on my heart because I have so many people in my life that want a baby achingly right now who are either struggling to conceive as a married couple or who are single women. And because ours is is a few years away, I feel much more weight from a second degree place than a first. But I, I honor that this thing has occurred since literally the beginning of humanity. And motherhood occurs today all over the world, from the poorest of the poor to the wealthiest of the wealthy of every skin color and sexual orientation and religion and belief and... I just want to give everyone a hug that we all can viscerally feel something. And that is not, that feeling is not going to change whether I do or don't become a mother or do or don't suffer a loss in that process. However, our journey to when and how we meet our children, if we have them looks, it still remains that I want to give everyone a hug because we share this tender topic together. And I hope we can have more grace for ourselves and one another in the process and celebrate every moment of joy that there is without ever diminishing the hard, but being so grateful for all of the joy. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. Yes, something I'm loving lately is the speaker that we have in our shower. We got it for Christmas maybe two years ago. I'm going to link it in the description because I feel like tech, it's kind of hard to be like, is that one good? Is it going to break? And I was just thinking about the fact that I think we've had this for two years. It's worked the whole time. I just charged it the other day and I thought, when have I ever charged this? Now, granted, Jeremy doesn't use it, so it's not getting all that much play, but and, and I don't use it all the time, but I do love every now and then to be able to either listen to a podcast or audiobook while I'm taking a shower or more often listen to music. 
and just kind of give myself that vibe and experience. It was not expensive, the one that we got. It sticks on the wall of the shower. It hasn't slipped off. And it's just one of those things that I thought I would love personally, if I was gonna buy something like this, to have a recommendation off of it rather than just going on Amazon because you just never know whether things are gonna be good or bad. So I will link the one that we got. It is not sponsored. Obviously, I don't even remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but I will find the one for you um, as just a little way to make your general self-care of showering a little bit more pleasurable or educational or vibey as you so choose. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts on this episode today. I know that it is so personal, so tender. Come leave a comment below my latest Instagram post, whatever that is. I read all of those um, or send me a DM. I'm not able to get to everyone, but I do my very best. Um, would truly love to hear your heart on this topic and um, better understand where you're at if there's other ways that I can serve and support you through myself or other guests here on the podcast soon. And I will see you back here next week with Grace and Gumption. See you then. Till next Wednesday. 